0: Okay, let's go ahead and open with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for another day of life. Lord God, we pray that you would bless us, cause us to walk in your ways, and in this next hour, Father, cause us to understand and know to be transformed by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so let me just summarize. Last time, we began to look at justice in the book of Deuteronomy, and we began to look at retributive justice And in particular, we were seeing the principle that's in Scripture so often that wickedness is bad, therefore it's forbidden, therefore it's punished. Therefore, laws should protect us from wickedness, whereas righteousness is good, so it is commanded. And there are rewards ascribed to it uh, in Scripture, and in the final judgment especially. But in Israel, we saw that applying In this world, in a particular way, in the law. And we began to look at the blessings and the cursings. And as we saw that, uh, we were careful to point out that in this world, we are sinners, even as believers. And that would include Israel and the true Israel within Israel. And therefore, sin infects every one of our good works. Therefore, we can never say, God should have given me this. God owed me this. I earned this. Every reward, even the next breath, is a gift of grace that we don't deserve. And so we have to understand that when we read about the blessings and the cursings for obedience and for disobedience. They're not earning anything. They should have known that. It was only when, in unbelief, they turned their system of grace into a system of works that they began to really corrupt it. So... Uh, But we saw the Bible in general, uh, and this book of Deuteronomy in particular, emphasizes rewards and punishments according to works. But they're works, again, of grace when we talk about rewards. God's rewards are rewards of grace, rather. And our works are by the power of his spirit, and they're never perfect in this world. And we saw that this is the teaching, in a sense, of nature itself, that people themselves know in their hearts they should do good. They should not do bad. Therefore, everybody in the world wrestles with guilt, whether they're atheists or whatever, because they condemn and judge themselves for not meeting the standard that they don't even choose that's imposed upon them. Um, and this is why people struggle so much with anxiety and depression and stress and everything else, because they have this thing, this conscience that judges them and that they don't choose and they wish they could silence. And it can be misinformed. And it can be hardened and so forth, but you can't get rid of it. And so, in a sense, everybody knows that virtue is its own reward. Everybody knows that. I'm supposed to be a virtuous person, and that is a good thing. Uh, What might not be known as clearly is that sin is actually its own punishment. Uh, In Scripture, we see God giving people over to sin to punish them further. In the midst of that, they may think that they're enjoying it more and getting away with it more. Sodom and Gomorrah would be a good example as they were given over to greater sin. And in the moment, they might have thought, oh, this is awesome. We're enjoying ourselves. But that sin was causing all kind of grief. And, you know, you might be the one enjoying it. But then the next moment, you're a victim of it. Uh, But ultimately, God is is when God hardens, when God gives people over to sin that way, greater judgment is coming. Um, And that might not be as much of a... Again, uh, obvious thing, but you'll see that especially today when we get into the blessings and the cursings when I'm going into the third section called judgment. So uh, let me just uh, begin here by reading Deuteronomy 11. So all the way back in Deuteronomy 11, we get this idea of blessings and cursings. Deuteronomy 11:26. it's in your outline. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way, which I command you today, to go after other gods, which you have not known. So the way is to go after the true God and obey him. And the, and the wrong way is to turn away from that and go after other gods, ultimately. And so we get... This anticipation of these blessings and cursings, and it's very important to the book of Deuteronomy. But it is not the most important thing. It's sort of, it's the penultimate. It's the second greatest thing, I would say, in the book, this blessings and cursings. It's, it's a great focus, but it's not the most significant or ultimate focus of the book. All right. Um, uh, but much of the book leads to these things as a great goal to Israel. You know, you want to be blessed and you don't want to be cursed. And so it, a lot of the book is about this. Um, and uh, I do want to mention that it's, uh, there is a particular application to Israel as a nation that we can't bring in one-to-one. A lot of times that's done in evangelical circles and even in reform circles. They'll be bringing in, you know, this kind of one-to-one, oh, well, if we just do this, we have the exact same situation as Israel actually know. We don't. Um, the Westminster Standards talk about the principles that continue, but not the specific, oftentimes, not the specific particulars and applications. And so we want to just notice that when we get into the blessings and cursings, right? You're not promised that your goats are going to have more t- kids if you do certain things. Uh, but that was literally true for Israel. And that's a significant thing to think about. But the, uh, again, the principles. Still apply. And so um, the blessings and the cursings for Israel have reference to their land that was theirs. That's not ours. That's not promised to the church. You know, this nationhood that was theirs and the government and structure that was theirs, that's not given by Christ again to the church and some kind of new Israel to set up or something. Uh, But they are relevant. As principles and as examples, this is how God deals with his people. And also his history. You know, Bob's history teacher, you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. Uh, It's good for us to know that Israel had these commands from God. And this is what God did, and this is what happened. It was a stage in the history of the people of God, which all people are of faith, all people from the garden on. We are the one people of God. We're saved by grace through faith in the Messiah. And uh, this was a stage in, in the redemptive history of God's people. And so it's important just to know it as that. All right, so let's go to chapter 26. The, the three chapters that um, speak of the blessings and cursings, again, are 26, 27, and 28. And so even by it not being at the very end of the book, you know it's not the ultimate climax of the book. But it's a great focus of the book, and it's to be in Israel's mind all the time. Because in a sense, it's more of a day-to-day you know, reality of blessings and cursings and me really needing to walk after the Lord every day and to avoid sin every day. And So that's an important part of it. So in chapter 26, we get a picture really of the future, how it shall be when Israel lives in the land. It shall come to pass when you come into the land. Alright, so when you come in the land which God is giving you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell it, that you should. So right away we're getting a, this is what you should do in the future. Uh, and the first couple of verses, as I separated here, I'm not going to read these verse for verse, but... Verses 1 to 4 in general are their future prosperity. You're going to take some of your produce, which you shall get, you know, and you'll put it in a basket. And you'll go to a place. So they're going to have, you're going to have crops and you're going to have possessions. You're going to have private property. So there's a future prosperity that's being uh, anticipated here. And this is what you do in, uh, with that prosperity. Uh, verses 5 to 8, we see that Israel is to confess their inability their unworthiness and that it's God's power and grace that brought them salvation. Look at verse 5. And you shall answer. So, you know, verses 1 to 4 include going to a priest and so forth, this idea of prosperity and and worship. But then verse 5, you shall answer. You shall answer the priest and say, before the Lord your God, my father was a Syrian about to perish. He's talking about Abraham. I mean, the great Abraham, the Israel was supposed to remember he was a Syrian. He wasn't a chosen person. And he was about to die. And what? Uh, he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number. And there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. And of course, that happens under Jacob when Jacob uh, and his sons go down. But uh, Israel has to confess here there is nothing inherently good in that. They were Syrians. They were going to die like everyone else. They were the, and then God is the one. Um, Uh, God is the one who uh, chooses them so the Egyptians mistreated them laid hard bondage we cried to the Lord and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression so the Lord brought us out and so it was God's grace that gave them the land and they were going to die and so that was um, notice immediately part of this it's again so you're not going to think oh wow we're so much better than everybody else that's why we're blessed uh, they were just like everyone else, and god 's reminding of them them of that and that 's really important to see because again, people so often want to turn Deuteronomy or other Old Testament passages either into legalism for Israel or legalism for the church. You do this, and god 'll do this for you you know and, and a lot of times we make fun of it in the reform camp when we see it like in the prosperity or the you know the health go- gospel where you know if you give your money to this preacher you you 'll get blessed back or you'll have health or whatever but we do do it in other ways you know uh, there are versions of theonomy you know and we love theonomy in reform camp but uh, do the same kind of legalism you know you earn something from god no you don't ever <laughs> so i just want to remind us of that um and that's right off the bat. Uh, salvation is uh, uh, to be enjoyed and they're to respond with joy. Look at verses 9 to 11. God brought us to this place that flows with milk and honey. How often do we hear that? That appears a couple times in, in Deuteronomy. The land flows with milk and honey. Obviously an exaggerated hyperbolistic metaphor. <laughs> It's not, you know, you didn't walk in Israel in that day and rivers of honey and milk were going down the road. But it, it was a prosperous land. God was, had blessed the land. And there was produce to be found in the land. All right. And so this is, again, they're confessing uh, this good, these blessings God has brought to them. And so they're bringing the first fruits of the land, notice, which, Lord, you have given me. I haven't earned. I haven't done it myself and i 'm giving you back the first fruits because you gave it all to me, and remember the first fruits in Israel were uh, i mean a, a declaration a witness that God you have a lot more because you 're just given the first fruits everything 's coming you give the first to God, but you get to keep all the rest all right and so this is prosperity and blessing and life. so this is the context again of the of the blessings and the rewards, this sheer grace that God has given to them, verses sixteen then Oh, I don't want to uh, skip too far. Sorry. Verses 12 to 14, the use of the tithe. There were several different tithes that you can talk about in Deuteronomy. And again, we don't bring that one-to-one in. I think the principle of the tenth continues in the church. But uh, here you lay aside the tithe of your increase in the third year. So this is the, uh, the year of tithing. That was every three years. And you give to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. So there was this great use of helping those who, uh, for no fault of their own, uh, well, I mean, I don't want to say that. Uh, obviously, we're all at fault. But, um, but this, you know, the, the, the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, people who are in a place where it's difficult for them to enjoy the prosperity that people who aren't in that place can enjoy. And so what they are to do, they're to share with them. They are to use that to help them. Right? And we do that same principle in the church with uh, the diaconate. Uh, and we have uh, uh, funds in the, in the New Testament. We see the this tr- distribution of bread to widows in Acts chapter 6. And that was the creation of the deacons. And one of the great functions of the diaconate is mercy ministry in the church first. To help the church first. We do believe that when we can uh, and when it's appropriate uh, that we are to sh- do good to all, Scripture says. But especially to the household of faith, Scripture says. And so here's God in this nation helping to provide for people who are in a bad situation. The parents are killed. You have fatherless children. Or you have a widow. The husband is killed. They're not able to produce as much. Or the Levite who is supposed to give his time to word and prayers and who's not given any land so he can't have any animals uh, so he's going to need in a sense paid in order to do the work of worship and that principle continues in the new testament as paul says the workman is worthy of his wages and in acts uh, or sorry in genesis or galatians he commands uh the giving of physical things to those who teach spiritual things so that principle continues but um this is to maintain not just, so it's not just for mercy, but it's also to maintain worship when you give it to the, to the Levite, maintain religion and teachers. Um, and then notice uh, verse 13, you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house. I have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, according to your commandments, which you commanded. I have not transgressed your commandments nor forgotten them. Um. And so forth. And then the ceremonial aspect of eating it in joy and not in mourning and so forth. Because worship was to be a joy. And it's an affront to God if God's people were not enjoying the blessing that he was giving them. And they were to respond with celebration. God is good. He's giving them uh, prosperity and blessing. And they are to uh, celebrate that. And then they are to pray for that. Verse 15. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people. And the land which you have given to us. And then notice again the, end, the faith. Just as you swore to our fathers, we believe uh, in the covenant that you graciously gave. A land flowing with milk and honey, etc. So uh, verses 16 and 19, through 19 then, it's a reminder and a uh, re-emphasis then of the ha- heartfelt obedience that Israel is now to give to God. Because God has given them life and blessing and salvation in the land. And so they are to live for him. Again, out of gratitude, out of love, and out of delight uh, in his in his good law. This is the uh, verse 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these judgments. Be careful to do them. Notice, with all your heart and soul, it's not to be fake. It's not to be outward. It's not to be going through the motions. It's to be real. Uh, they are to seek to, to want to and to love the law. This is why they're to write it all over the place, to try to get it in their minds and hearts. Uh, verse 17, today you have proclaimed the Lord your God that you will walk in his statutes. So, you know, you're saying this, you're entering into this covenant. The Lord has proclaimed you to be a special people. Verse 18, just as he promised, notice that you should keep these commandments. This, the goal of salvation ultimately is righteousness. That we would do the things that please God and be his faithful servants. Uh, and uh, verse 19, then the promise and he will, that he will set you high above the nation's Which he has made in praise and name and honor that you may be a holy people to the Lord just as the Lord God you're spoken. So here's the ultimate thing that's mentioned here within this passage uh, that's anticipating the blessings and the cursings. The emphasis on the heart. uh, Again, that dispels any notion of merit, right? God wants changed hearts. He doesn't want you to walk through these hoops and earn something. He wants your heart to really want to do these things and to serve him and to honor him and to love him etc so then we get to chapter 27 all right and now uh we're getting set up into the blessings and the cursings. so we looked at them real briefly last time but i'm trying to build up to them and show the context here as we do it because this is so important to the book of deuteronomy um so notice it's, he gives them a reminder again of the future. Verse 2 What, what are you going to do when you come? And here he's with the elders. Moses and the elders are commanding the people keep all the commandments which I command you. That keeps being emphasized. And then verse 2 It shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you that you shall set up for yourselves large white stones and you shall wash, whitewash them with lime and then you shall write on them. All right? So there's this to be you know, basically billboards um, with the words of God written that the people can see it from far away, that they will have this reminder to them. They're to do this immediately when they get in the land again. God trying to give his people all of the means that he can to help them to be transformed by his word. So they write on the words, uh, the the rocks, what? Uh, The laws of God. You shall write on them, verse 3, the words of this law. Um, And again, the the grace that the Lord, the land the Lord is giving you, a good land flowing with milk and honey, etc., just as he promised. So all those reminders again and again. And then verse 4, he sets up. Uh, this stage with Mount Ebal being mentioned. Therefore, it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I command you today. You shall whitewash them with lime. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God, altar of stones as they were always to do, not to fashion anything again to show that they can't add to or come into God's worship by their works. They couldn't even use iron on the altar. It was just rocks. All right, and so we see this... Um, and then offer your peace off. So that you give the sacrifice, and you shall write on very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. And so this is um, them coming into the land. There is this writing on the stones, um, a reminder to obey God. And then verses uh, 11 through th- 13, we get the division here of the, two, of the two groups of people. Half of the people are going to be on Mount Ebal. And half of the people on Mount Gerizim. And so these are these two hills. We would call them hills. Uh, they would <laughs> call them mounts. Um, and there's this valley in between. All right. And so, you know, you've got to picture this. Uh, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. And the others are going to stand on Mount Ebal. And so these are the one, the six tribes that would bless. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And it's a... Joseph and Benjamin um, being mentioned last, all right? And then these six shall stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali. Notice um, the Levites then shall speak with a loud voice and say to uh, to all the men of God. So the Levites are going to lead in this, but first come then the cursings. And so God has them actually go into this ceremony and do this. And so they're explained uh, that they are to do this. And they do it when they enter into the land. And they declare first the cursings. And we looked already at some of the things of the cursings. I'm not going to go through them. But just, again, let me summarize them. The cursings follow disobedience. So that's the emphasis of blessings and cursings. And the cursings, if you look at them from verses 14 to 26... You have making or worshiping images. Um, You have, uh, notice, and and it's in secret. We've already noticed that. All of these commandments, all of these cursings really come on things that you could do in secret that nobody would know. Again, because God wants people to really worship him from the heart. Breaking the fifth commandment. Nobody's going to know that if you dishonor your parents. Stealing land by moving that landmark secretly. Preying upon weaknesses. Putting, again, an an object, uh, leading a blind person, taking advantage of people. Where they're, they have a weakness or a handicap, uh, sexual sin, in particular incest bestiality, attacking neighbors and notice secretly, so obviously that 's not some physical thing, uh, bribery and taking a bribe, then not observing all the words of this law and and we saw that we don 't see like you know public idolatry or Or murder or blasphemy or Sabbath breaking or things like that. It's these secret sins hidden. Um, Nothing mentioned about prostitution, things like that. Robbery, uh, you know, violent uh, stealing, but secret things. Um, And people were to say amen at the end of each curse, affirming it, agreeing with it. How important it was that there be a law that people agree with. And they say yes the lawbreaker should be punished. I mean, that's part of this. There are, Remember, there's no police force in Israel. So you had, everyone had to internalize this. You had to sort of be your own um, policeman. And there's a sense in which any free society, that has to be true. If people don't want to obey the law from the heart, you need a dictator to force them to. Or everybody's going to prey on everyone. So this is the way God's setting up this system of Israel, going to internalize this moral system. And if they all do, there'll be peace in the land. There'll be prosperity. It's only if they don't internalize it and people, you know, every man for himself or the the strong prey upon the weak, then there's going to be chaos. They did have judges, but they didn't have a, a system of, you know, you couldn't call the police. Someone breaks the law. Everyone's supposed to enforce the law on themselves. And so God himself, in a sense, would curse those who didn't, and that's a great judgment that was threatened on them, and again, I don't think we can bring that one-to-one in, because we're not, America is not the new Israel, neither is any other country on the earth, so you can't bring that in in that sense, but still these things are sins, so that's the principle that continues, and God still curses ultimately sin if people don't, uh, aren't justified in Christ. So we have to get our uh, moral compass, therefore, from the laws of God. And I think that's important, too. But but there's something else going on. I want to notice this in the state. Because this is the state of Israel. Um, Our convictions and our feelings about what's right and wrong should come from what actually is right and wrong. All right? Um, In a sense, God has legislated all of these laws. And I know people talk about whether or not you can legislate morality. You have to legislate morality on the one hand, because the only basis for law is right and wrong, and that's morals. If the government just randomly made laws, that would be tyranny. Laws should be right, right? Laws that protect your property, because it's right that you have your property and people can't just take it from you. So there's a sense in which all law is legislated morality, absolutely, um, but what we can't do with a law is to make something right and wrong. We can't do that. Uh, the law should reflect what is right and wrong. And the, law, the only, only laws that do that are just laws. Any laws that don't do that are unjust laws. So there's a sense in which law is already determined by the nature of God and the nature of man. What a law should be. Although, you know, things may arise in society where you need to regulate certain things. Like a speed limit or something. Um, But ultimately, that too has a moral basis, right? You don't want people terrorizing down the highway 150 miles an hour and killing people. That's crazy, you know, so there has to be some sort of order in that. Um, But what I do want to notice is even though laws can't change right and wrong, laws actually do change the way people think and feel about right and wrong. That absolutely is true. And you can see that throughout societies where a government will declare something as being good and right, and so many people begin to think and believe that it is. Or a government will say this is bad, and so many people begin to think and feel that it is. And my big example is gay marriage. As long as that topic began to be talked about in the early 2000s, really. uh, every time a poll would be taken Americans were overwhelmingly against gay marriage a man and a woman have to be, or marriage has to be between a man and a woman that was actually barack obama's one of his campaign promises when he was running for reelection he declared publicly do you remember this this is in 2012 that you know he's running for reelection he's already been president for 4 years and he de- one of his platforms was marriage is between a man and a woman Barack Obama said that. Now, every conservative knew he was lying. He was just saying that to get votes. But that was his public statement. And that's because in 2012, the vast majority of Americans still said marriage is between a man and a woman. And then it was 2014 or 13 or 15 or whenever it was uh, when uh, the Supreme Court declared uh, that uh, to be wrong. And gay marriage is now allowed the very next poll, if I, unless I'm wrong, but I, I believe the very next poll, a majority, a slight majority, favored gay marriage. Never before. And it's only gone up more and more each year. More and more I don't know, it's, it's something like two-thirds or three-quarters now. Gay marriage is OK. Um, before the law, no, no even in California, they took polls in California the majority of people and they tried to get a, a state because they were, they were trying to fight it at the state level and they tried to get a, a, um, an amendment to their constitution, their state constitution that would define marriage as, as a man and a woman in California and the majority of the people were for it uh, so this shows that laws really do change the way people think and feel which is really scary if you think about it that you get your morals from what Washington says that's pretty sad um, morals should be unchanging right and wrong is unchanging because man is unchanging of course that's part of the problem they're teaching that man changes we used to be a little germ and then we became a frog and then we were apes and so sure maybe maybe some would even say yeah 20 years ago it was wrong but now we've evolved even further so now it's right you know you got to get with the times right we we're always told that kind of stuff um, well that's uh, that is not what Israel was to be and, and that is not what any just society is. Uh, laws have to be based on truth and what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, and what God says is these things and not what the changing opinions of people are. But I just want to notice that, that that is a fact that laws do change the way people think and what they will say and believe. And that's um, reflective in a sense from the society, but then it goes and changes the society. So let's go to the blessings. Uh, the blessings from Mount Gerizim. <clears throat> the blessings follow obedience. Verses 1 to 2, verse 9, verse 13. If you obey, because you obey, if you keep, heed. So obedience is important. But Israel, again, we've already seen this repeatedly, right? They can't possibly think they're meriting anything <clears throat> because of the constant reminder, you know, that you came from this wandering Syrian who was about to die and so forth. But notice The blessings. Uh, are the following. So verses 3 and 6, you're going to be blessed in a, in a particular location, right? In the city, in the country, when you go out, when you come in. So blessings on locations. And then uh, verse 4, the blessing is going to be on the offspring, the offspring of your animals and your own offspring. And then in verses 5 to 8, the blessing is on your basket. The blessing is on your kneading bowl. Uh, I always wondered that. I wonder, what does that mean your food tastes better? Or is like does that mean that somebody like me could cook because you know, the blessings on the kneading bowl. I mean, but again, this—you know—there's a sense in which there's some hyperbole here. God's saying, "I'm going to bless you no matter what you're doing." You know, and all these details, because these are the facts of life. You had to have baskets and kneading bowls and storehouses, and, and the blessing would be on your work. So you see that in verses five to eight, five and eight rather. And then your enemies—you're being blessed—is going to have your enemies to be defeated. Verses seven and ten. And the other nations will fear you. They'll see you as this powerful nation, right? There's been this hegemony of American powers, in a sense, in the world because of the threat of American retaliation. A lot of nations, you know, I mean, this is less true now, but certainly for the last 50 or or 75 years, you know, since after World War II, certainly since after the Cold War when Russia went down, America was kind of the sole superpower, at least for a while. And and that power helped to intimidate nations, Uh, you know, the nuclear deterrent. We always hear that kind of thing. Well, um, that's what God's promising Israel here. Israel is going to be feared by other nations. You're not going to want to mess around. That's going to help keep peace. That's a blessing that other nations would fear Israel. See it in verse 10. All the peoples of the earth shall see you that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. Uh, They'll be afraid of you because they'll see God's with you. That was the cool thing about it, that God is with you, and so they'll be afraid of you, Um, but that God was with them. They'll be established by God as a holy people. So establishment, kind of permanency. Uh, uh, verse 11, their goods again, their offspring again. Their, uh, again, the offspring of animals and men repeated. Uh, their produce, their crops, their vineyards. And then nature itself, the rain's going to come when it's supposed to. You're not going to have drought. You're not going to have this great heat that dries everything up. Uh, and then God's going to make you prosperous. You'll lend and won't borrow. All right? You'll be the head and not the tail. Things like that. Uh, and so um, that prosperity, uh, and they'll be notice verse thirteen. They'll be the, if they're the head, they're going to be above all the other nations. And what that's telling the other nations is that the best way to live is to have God as your God. And you'll be, look look how God blesses those you know who who seek to obey Him. Uh, the final do not verse fourteen is in order to have blessings. Do not what? Do not turn. Uh, So even the prohibition there is for the sake of blessing. You shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you to the right or to the left to go after other gods and serve them. So that idea of other gods, because anything that would turn us away from God, in a sense, is our God. And so... um, that becomes the final uh, blessing that they're going to be declared. Now, what's interesting is you get a second set of cursings now. Uh, we already had the cursings in 27. We had the blessings on uh, in 28. And now we get another set of cursings on verse 15 through 25. And it's the same as the blessings... Above, but the reverse. So verse 16, the cursings are your locations. When you're in the city, when you're in the country, you're going to be cursed. The cursing's now on your basket and on your kneading bowl. Okay, so now you're going to make the meals and they're going to be as bad as you are making them maybe. Um, verse 18, the cursings on the offspring of the animals and the offspring of men and cursings on the crops and the produce. So the same thing as the blessings were, but in reverse. When you go out, when you go in, come in, verse 19. And then, uh, interestingly, confusion and frustration. Verse 20, the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, rebuke in all that you do. Confusion. I'm, we're going to see this uh, a little bit more, but kind of a, 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 a not knowing what to do next. I kind of feel like that more and more today in our country. Like, what are we supposed to do? You know, there's so much wickedness and so much corruption and so, you know, so many things to just mourn over. And you sit back and you think, what can I do? What can I do to change it? I don't know. I sort of feel like that, you know, I I know, I believe that there's great uh, judgment still from God on nations for sin. And how can we deny that America has gone through judgment when we see what's happened in the last 20 or 30 years? Um, there's a consequence to this day even though again no nation replaces Israel God is still the God of the nations and you can read in the prophets where God will tell you, send a prophet to go to this country and do this and this country and do this. He's still the God of all and he still rules over all and he still judges and cares about um, sin and righteousness so um, but we see confusion uh, verses 21 to 24 diseases even you know I, I remember in the 80s when the AIDS uh, epidemic started and all sorts of People talking about is this a judgment from God? Well, there's a sense in which yes, everything is, everything that brings death. I mean, that was the first judgment when we sinned: you shall die. Everything that brings it uh, is part of it. But I mean, that was a it was a scary thing because nobody knew how it spread at first. I don't know if you, I mean, you kids don't remember, but you know, I know we had the COVID virus. Um, the AIDS virus was different; it was 100% fatal. They didn't close any schools. They didn't make you wear masks. but you, And no one knew how you, exactly you got it. You know, there were people that, professional basketball players, when Mag, Magic Johnson was discovered to have AIDS, he had to retire. They wouldn't play against him because they didn't know if his sweat would get on him, them and they'd get AIDS. That's a fact. Magic Johnson had to retire. Uh, that's how scary it was, that nobody knew what this virus did. Uh, but the, the, you knew if you got it, you died. Um, and again, uh, that... You know, brought all kinds of different things. I remember going to school and, like, you know, being scared. Like, wow, if you kiss a girl, could you get AIDS? I mean, nobody knew. You know, it sounds funny now. But that's a fact. Nobody knew these things. And it was really scary. Uh, And that kind of a thing, I think, is what, you know, uh, Israel would, would face more and more of. I mean, God can remove things or God can allow things to come or even send them. Uh, we see drought again and then defeat in war. So, all the re- blessings reversed verses 15 to 25 in this second set of cursings. <clears throat> uh, and now I want to go to um, this, what I'm calling the final section of these fearful judgments. Now, in a sense, there are still cursings, but the, the word curse kind of drops out after this, if you notice. Uh, you don't really get cur- cursed be, cursed be, after verse 19. Uh, in verse 20, the Lord will send cursing. Uh, and so, but, but in verse 26, um, you begin to see really what becomes the future. All these things will come to pass in Israel. Uh, but there's still judgments on disobedience and they're increasing. And you're going to see three cycles of them in this section, um, which I think is important to Notice. But let's not forget the focus. If you skip over to Deuteronomy 30, there's a focus here. 29 talks about the covenant, and we're going to come back to 29. But I want to skip over to verse, uh, chapter 30 because chapter 30 says, Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse. So verses, so 27, as we've seen, chapter 27 and chapter 28 are the blessings and the cursings. In a sense, we've just looked at them all. But they're all going to come to pass, verse 30 says. Or chapter 30 says. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you. The blessing. All those blessings when you go out, when you come in, you kneading an bowl. And the cursings which I have set before you. And you call them to mind. Call to mind that this has happened. So this is many years in the future now. And you call to mind, notice, among all the nations Where the Lord, your God drives you. Because one, remember, one of the cursings was to be defeated by your enemies and swept into captivity. So he's, Moses now is telling the the people, all this is going to happen. And when it happens, and when you come to mind, uh, and you're in captivity in some other nation where the Lord, your God, has driven you. Notice that. And you return to the Lord, your God, obviously in their hearts. And you obey his voice according to all the command that I command you today. You and your children, notice, with all your heart and with all your soul. Again, that doesn't mean perfect. That means you're not double-minded. You're not choosing sin one moment and God the next. I mean, in a sense, uh, that's how we fall. But still, God is, your, God is the one you want more. He is first. With all your heart, with all your soul, notice that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity... And have compassion on you. And gather you again from all the nations where the Lord has scattered you. Okay. If any of you are driven from the farthest parts of heavens, There the Lord will bring you and gather you etc. Alright. So, so this is the, the ultimate focus here. That's greater than the blessings and cursings. Because the bla- blessings, blessings and the cursings they're all going to happen. And this is where they're going to need to go to when, it, when they do. They're going to need to remember the pure grace of god because they've completely failed at this point and <clears throat> they are to remember god and again the call is to turn back to god in your heart and god will bring you you back from captivity and again i think that is a literal specific promise to israel thing they're going to get to go back into the land again and we know that happens uh principally after babylon that they get to return uh, after they'd been scattered, you know, to Assyria, Babylon, Syria, all over the place because uh, many uh, nations had come in and they were picked apart piece by piece. But Babylon finished it with the southern kingdom, if you remember. So the particular <clears throat> judgments that are threatened now at this point, and go back to chapter 28. Uh, at this point, um, you've got to think of in terms of these are going to happen to Israel, right? They're not just, you know... Uh, Cursings. They these things happen to Israel. And the first thing that I want to just notice here again, after the enemies, and you, you, know, you flee seven ways. It just talks about the utter defeat is what that means, seven ways. You shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be for the food of the birds of the air, the beasts of the earth. No one will frighten them away. Again, uh, even the blessing of somebody keeping the corpses from being picked apart. Um, then mental... And physical disease, Uh, the physical disease in verse 27, the mental disease. Notice, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. And what will you do? You'll grope at noonday as a blind man gropes. So you're not going to have knowledge or understanding or discernment. Uh, You'll not prosper in your ways. You'll only be continually oppressed, oppressed, plundered, and no one shall save you. And so um, this uh, s- cycle now of judgments um, will move to um, specific things in the home, all right? Um, marriages, verse 30. Uh, houses and crops, your herds, uh, in verse 31. In verse, um, your sons and daughters, your children, in verse thirty-two, and then again the enemies, um, in verse thirty-three, disease uh, and uh, uh, enemies again, beginning in verse thirty-four, uh, false gods and the curse of that—you'll uh, be a byword. You'll be known as a people that horrible things have happened to. Crops, children are going to be taken to captivity, and locusts, right? I mean, the fearful locusts of Egypt, which they would have remembered how devastating they were. And now the alien will be above you. You know, God shows them that they would be a special people, that they would be the head, not the tail. And what happens uh, in judgment is that the alien rises up further and further, and they, the people of God, become more and more judged. So um, that's the first round, as it were, of judgments. And everyone is included, just as everyone was included in the blessings. This isn't just for the kings and the rulers and the nobles. You know, only they can be blessed of God. Remember, God shows all the Israelites, in a sense, are equal. in in that they are equally responsible to God and equally able to be blessed by God, but equally able to suffer the judgment of God, you know, with great... With great freedom comes great responsibility or great blessing uh, comes that, uh, really. And so they're all, you know, they can't say, well, you know, it's the king, it's the priest. Everyone is going to be treated like this, all right? And so that's important to know. Then notice the, the, the statement of verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and the statutes which he commanded. Again, we've seen over and over again, this isn't talking about earning it, but as they continue to pursue sin. And now a second round, by that moreover, here's another round that's going to come. So, you know, it's, it's degrees. If Israel really starts to go after sin, they're going to suffer that first round. But God, you know, merciful, long-suffering, they're not gone yet completely. Uh, then a second round comes in, and notice it's more severe. Verse 45 again, because you did not obey. Uh, Verse 46 Israel themselves will be a sign and a wonder of what? Of judgment. Wow! Look what God did, did and look what God did to the to the Jews. You know, uh, it's it's almost like a miracle, but a miracle again in, in a very bad way. So God here is is showing them this a sign and a wonder of judgment. And notice verse forty seven: because you did not serve the Lord your God. Notice this with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything you had. Everything you should have rejoiced in God, but you didn't. You pursued sin for not being joyful in the Lord and what God had done for them. Um, and so this, again, showing that God is wanting the heart. The heart should be joyful. Uh, that you couldn't command that if all it was was earning certain things for, by your outward behavior. Or f- checking the dark boxes and you know uh, crossing the T's and dotting the I's and all that. No, no it's, you should really want this. Your heart should have been mine. But you didn't. Um, so... <clears throat> Verses 48 48 to 52, just massive destruction. Massive destruction from enemies. Uh, Nakedness, hunger, yoke of iron, till he has destroyed you. A a nation whose language you don't understand, that itself is a judgment. Swift as eagles, these, these, again, a fierce... Countenance. They don't respect the elderly. They don't show favor to the young. Kind of what, like what Abraham thought of certain nations, right? He's, he didn't think anybody feared God, so he, he lied about his wife. Well, God said, I'm going to send nations that don't fear God to you. They don't care about the young. They don't care about the old, just brutal nations. And, um, and they're going to take all your crops and all your prosperity and all of your wine and all of your grain, verse 51, and they're going to destroy it all. <clears throat> and then they're going to besiege you. And they're going to take over your land. All right. So this is massive destruction from enemies. Uh, hor- horrific scarcity and want from war. I call verses 53 to verse 57. And again, this happens to Israel. You can read it in the later historical books and in the prophets. You shall eat your own, the flesh of your sons and your daughters. They actually go through that. You know? And you can remember the one story where the king is going through the land. And he sees two women arguing about which child they're going, supposed to eat next. This happened to Israel, all right? And the Lord has given you in the siege desperate straits. Uh, but even that wasn't the captivity, if you remember. Even that resulted in a deliverance. The very next day, actually, they were, they were delivered. And you think about that. Um, you know, um, they ate that one woman's child, and the next day they were going to have food in abundance. But they, they weren't thinking that way. They weren't. Thinking that this trial is sometime going to end and God's going to be with us again. And we've just got to hold on. We've just got to trust him. You know, maybe your trial is going to end tomorrow. And you're doing something really stupid today. Because you don't know that tomorrow it's going to end. You know, and this is uh, something that in the midst of these judgments, remember, we've already read it. In Deuteronomy 30, they're all going to come to pass. Remember God. And he will save you all over again. Right? So uh, the, final, the final cycle of judgments ends in their ultimate captivity. So this second... Ju- there were cities that were taken. There were peoples that were taken. The northern kingdoms taken. <coughs> Sieges happen. All this stuff happens. But notice in verse 58... Uh, sorry, verse um, 50, yeah, verse 58. You get the start of a new cycle. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Then, here it comes, the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues. I mean, the Scripture is even using the language. This is the last cycle. This is the last one, right? Great and prolonged plagues, serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you the diseases of Egypt. You know, those terrible diseases, the boils and things that cling to the they're going to come on you. The things that were God made a separation to his people, they didn't happen to his people, but they happened to Egypt. Now they're like not his people. They're like Egypt. Right? Every sickness, every plague not written in the book of the law, the Lord will bring upon you. God is the one who ultimately judges. That's another message of Deuteronomy. You know, and as severe as this is, the, the book of Revelation goes further. <laughs> The book of Revelation talks about fire and brimstone, not for a season, but forever, right? And just explicit descriptions of hell uh, and the smoke of torment rising, not in one destruction, but forever and ever. And so, you know, this is the same God. And this is uh, a type, again, a picture of the judgment that happens when you don't believe in Jesus, when you live in sin or choose another God. Uh, That's part of this as well. Uh, So these horrific plagues, uh, massive uh, death in verse 62, you'll be left few in number. Where you were as the stars of heaven, now you'll be few. Again, because you would not obey, right? Um, Pursuing sin, choosing sin. The Lord will be against them for evil. The Lord was their God. Now the Lord is going to be against them. Verse 63. Verse 64 and 65, they'll be exiled among the nations they're gone. They're out of the land. That's the ultimate thing, right? They lose the temple. They lose worship. They lose everything. Uh, And they've chosen other gods, so God's going to give them other gods. Your fathers have uh, not known wood and stone. Among the nations, you shall find no rest. You know, uh, the Sabbath, a type of, of rest in God. Well, they're not in God now, so they don't get rest. Verse 66, your life shall hang in doubt. You shall fear the day and you shall fear the night. You'll have no assurance of life. In the morning you'll say, oh, that it were evening. And in the evening you'll say, oh, that it was morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord, notice this, this is the ultimate really. The Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. They were saved from Egypt. That's salvation. Now they go back. But what happens? They were slaves in Egypt before. Now, but by force, now they'll try to become slaves in Egypt, and the Egyptians won't want them. I mean, you, you don't get any lower than that. <clears throat> and there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies. Actually, it says you will offer yourself. It's the hit pael. Um, ...form of the Hebrew, which is you'll do it yourself. And some of the more literal translations uh, say that. You will offer yourselves uh, to sell your enemies. uh, And no one will buy you. Nobody will want you. Um, So the ultimate curse, again, and we should see that, really, in the fulfillment of the threat of eternal damnation... ...that Jesus makes very clear in the Gospels over and over again. So the blessings and the cursings... But again, remember the context. In chapter 30, all these things will come upon you, and still the gospel call. Come back to the Lord, and he will have compassion on you. Um, so, uh, any thoughts, comments, questions on the blessings and cursing section? Try to set them out, show the principles. best, Bob. like the evil twin. Yeah. The one is, well, oh, I didn't do this in morning. I didn't enjoy. And then he says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness. It really is mm. a bunch of, it, the, you know, this, like I said, the evil twin. Like you're looking in the mirror and you see the evil person yeah. who do, does all the exact opposite mm. Yeah. What you do. And, or, you know, vice versa. But, uh, you know, and, and I think that's the thing. It's a very parallel. so mm. yeah and it's stark and like you said serve the lord with joy serve other gods with sorrow you know and 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 you're you're you have the power to do this god's calling them to just believe in him obey him you know we're going to get to the section where where moses is going to say this word is not too high and it's not too hard right and paul says that's the gospel that's not the law that they were to believe in the lord trust in him you know recognize that they're sinners the very beginning of this is confess that your father was a Syrian about to die. You had nothing in you. And yet, here you are, my people. You know, be my people. Don't deceive yourself. Don't play games with me. Um, You know, the judgment is real and true. And Jesus talks about that too, about, you know, anyone who puts their hand to the plow, you know, and, and, and it's like Lot's wife. But I still want that back there. You know, you can't do that. You've got to give your heart to the Lord. Trust in him. Uh, That doesn't mean you don't fall in sin. That's a different thing. The person who still is with the Lord is sorry and and confesses that to God. And openly, I am not worthy. Um, And that's, that's the attitude that's always accepted. Right? No matter how many times you fall, you can never fall out of the grace of God. As long as you just admit and cry out to God for grace. But as soon as you... Think that somehow you can have the world and try to you know, do the things God wants you to do and look at it as a you know, doing kind of thing. Uh, that's, when you, that's when you're in the, in the bad place because you're not going to do it. The heart and soul over and over again. Did you see that? The heart, the soul, really and truly sincere faith um, and that love that would come from that and all the exhortations to Israel. To do that over and over again. And these great threats of blessing, great promise of blessing, great threat of reward. We still have that, right? I mean, heaven is, is a great place. Scripture describes the streets of gold and the many mansions. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'll take you to myself. I'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. That's, that's a great reward that's promised. Israel had great blessings promised and then great suffering promised right uh, so you know we don't want to we don't want to make this a covenant of works because it's not it was never that uh, they turned it into that when they fell away uh, but it was a covenant of grace yes Pammy. Just, um, pam sorry i encourage people to do a word search on word heart yeah mm. Mm. I don't know if you heard Pam to do a search on the word heart. You can do that in electronic now. It's so easy to do searches. You used to have to get the old concordances and you know, but now yeah, just search on the word heart and see how many times it appears. I'm going to do that for Deuteronomy. I don't think I've done that, but uh, I know it's there a lot. Yeah, yeah. And the heart, remember, is the whole self, the sincere self, right? When you love someone from your heart, you're not going through the motions. It's not fake. You know, it's real. And uh, that's what God, that's all that God wants, is that people would give them, give him their heart. In other words, that you would really come to him according to the gospel promise. Repent, believe in me, trust in me more than anything else. That's giving God your heart. God's first and if God's first, no matter what, you will be saved. So uh, well, let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this uh, book, this historical book, Father, that you really did have uh, this relation with your people. There really was a Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. They're still there today, but your people divided on those hills. They proclaimed blessings and cursings, Lord God, uh, and we thank you. And That you are the God of our salvation and that you promise us ble- great blessing to all who believe. But the, the cursings are real and more terrifying, Father, if we don't trust in Jesus. And so, Lord God, we just pray that we too would be moved by these things, by the reality of your goodness. And that we would be growing in Christ and growing in grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.